Hello, I'm Dan Hall. Making this show costs money. If you listen regularly, please consider subscribing to my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. But if you can't afford to, that's no problem. Instead, maybe you could recommend the show to a friend. Now then, let's get queer and start the show. Growing up being in a very multicultural area, it's like, oh, well, race doesn't matter. But moving away from that space and kind of maturing, it's like, no, it does matter. That's why I like to be seen as a Black artist and um, be really proud to say I'm Black. This is In the Key of Q, featuring queer music, queer chat, and queer stories from around the world. Everyone is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. Do remember to join the conversation across socials using the hashtag QueerMusic. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest is based in Austin, Texas, and loves delivering his best lines with a smirk. His alt-pop style builds on a foundation of pop music and pulls inspiration from elements of R&B, rock, electronica, and more. His music plays homage to past classic earworms whilst itself sounding fresh. He's been featured in paper and then magazine as well as being a mainstay on many of the world's top indie music charts. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Jackson. Jackson, hello. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be on. Thank you for having me. Thinking, thinking, thinking. I've been doing some thinking, thinking, thinking. thinking about you and me. How it makes sense. How it makes sense. Paradise. Sometimes it feels like paradise. Especially when I get to close my eyes. It's such a dream. Hi, everyone. My name is Jackson with an X. J X D K S O N. I decided to spell that way because I'm difficult. No, um, just kidding. But I. I added the X because as a pop artist, I like to be a variable um, and always reinvent myself. So that's why there's an X in Jackson. And it also makes you easier to find. That too. I mean, that's probably the main reason. But, you know, the first answer sounds better. (laughs) And so what music have you made so far? So I started almost three years ago. So my first single is called Icarus. Um, which is has kind of guitar, almost a reggae-like feel to it. it. It fused a lot of different genres together, um, which I thought was a really great introduction um, to who I am as an artist. I like to mix different genres, um, but of course, evolved over time. So my songs are always very pop. Um, you'll see in my debut EP, uh, which is called Paradox, which I called Paradox because of the whole idea of mixing gen- uh, genres and different sounds together that at first these songs don't s- seem like they would fit together, but somehow it does work. So I called it Paradox for that reason. But there's different types of influences. There's Ready for Love, which has a very bossa nova kind of feel to it. And then you have songs I have to say, like, that's a great song. I really, really like that one. I really, thank <laughs> you. But that might be because I'm a bit of an 80s baby and I love the kind of Madonna, La Isla Bonita era and Who's yes. That Girl. It was, it's a great song. Thank you. Thank you. I, lo- I love that song. Um, that is my top stream song. 
Um, and mainly because it ended up on an unofficial playlist for the TV show Heartstopper. Um, so a lot of fans from the show gravitated towards the song. And I think it's because, especially during, um, you know, COVID and uncertain times, it's just such a easy song to listen to. And it's such a loving song um, and a very warm song. Um, so I feel like people gravitated um, towards it for that reason. Now, it's, I think it's great because you often have really mixed styles in your work as well, don't you? You don't just have the music, there's kind of the poetry and, and there's all sort of, and lots of sampling. It's a really great sort of multi-textured piece. A lot of those songs started out as you know, standalone singles. Um, and then I really wanted to finish the project off. So I wrote three songs. I wrote a little more Curiosity um, and, oh man, what was the last song I wrote? See, that's how long it's been. Um, I wrote another song and then I wrote the, I had the two poems added because I wanted it to feel like a timestamp of my career as an artist, um, to tie it off with the bow and kind of complete that era. Um, and then the two poems were really important to include. Um, I'm very close to my, my little sister. Um, she's a few years younger than I am and she is a poet. Um, so I wanted, this to be a project that she could be a part of. So she actually wrote the two poems that are on the EP and she wrote them based off of hearing the first cut of the EP and the songs together and how it flows. And I told her where the two poems I wanted them to go. So she used the, my own songs to inspire her poetry. I mean, I rather like the idea of a spoken word element in a song purely because I think it reminds you to listen to the lyrics when they then start being sung again. It just reminds you that words exist. And I'm very guilty of this because I love melody so much that I can, I can often go decades without really listening or bothering to try to invest any time in, in what's being said. You know, my favorite band, who are a guitar British band called Suede, I still don't know 80% of their lyrics because I get so excited by the guitar. Each time I start to listen to one of their albums, I think this is going to be the time I listen to the lyrics. And inevitably, by you know, halfway through song one, I'm gone. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, I, was, I meant to listen to the lyrics. I'm the same way. I'm a very big melody person. Um, that's why I like in my I always introduce in my in my bio, in my introduction, I always talk about earworms um, because I do like writing melodies that kind of get stuck in your head. And when you're writing a melody, how do you know when to stop writing it in a way? Because I imagine it's quite I imagine writing a melody is a bit like cooking and that it's easy to make it too complicated and to ruin it. Whereas actually some of the most beautiful and stunning melodies are only kind of five or six notes. Yeah, I, I try not to overthink it. I do have that tendency. So sometimes I do have my trusted team members that will, will rein me in sometimes um, if I have that urge to add to something. But for the most part, I like to keep things simple um, for that reason. And I know I'm done if I'm writing the process and all day I'm humming it or I can't can't get it out of my head. And I usually know like, okay, this is a good sign. I'm not gonna mess with it or fiddle with it any further. Like, this is the song, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> Do you feel when you're writing a song like you are composing it or does it feel more like you're discovering it? Is it more like archaeology and you're kind of digging for something that 
is already fully formed somewhere in your brain or does it feel more like you're creating it as you go along? Um, I always, that's a great question because I always consider it like creating a marble sculpture. It's in there. I just have to shape it and find it. So it's definitely more the discover aspect. I feel like I find this inspiration. Um, we'll just say it's the cosmos or universe and it's just, I'm pulling it from somewhere um, and it just kind of forms. So it's like I discovered it and found it and I kind of put it, put it down in a recording. Um, so sometimes, yeah, I feel like it just, I discover it or it finds me. <laughs> and so you write and perform the songs. Do you produce them as well? I don't produce mainly for the reason of I like certain sounds. And when I try to produce, it's just not quite where I want it or it doesn't turn out and I'll end up. I could spend years working on one song and, and um, I don't I don't want to do that. That would drive me absolutely crazy. So then what was the boy Jackson like, the little kid? Oh, a very adventurous, very outgoing, which is really funny because I'm a very introverted, overthink person now. But as a kid, I was an extreme extrovert. I would talk to strangers, even though you know you're not supposed to. I wrote like a, a household newspaper for a month. Um, I was constantly writing short stories, writing songs. So the early signs of the performer were there. Oh, it's it's been there. I have I have home videos. I have this really funny home video of me being two, and I was watching Michael Jackson's black black or white video, and I am mesmerized and recreating the whole video music video in my own living room. I have like a pacifier and I take it out to do a whole dance and number. So it's it's been there since the at least since the early ages of two. <laughs> that is wonderful. What a beautiful image. Oh, yes. It's, it's a dark. One day it might, it might see the public light. We'll see. <laughs> and where did you grow up? I grew up in a, uh, a city called Colleen, Texas. Um, it's most known, known for being um, attached to a military base called Fort Hood. I do appreciate that, my, I appreciate that my dad decided to raise us there after he retired because it is a very mixed community um being biracial myself um i grew up almost in a bubble uh texas is very conservative um but i grew up in a multicultural bubble in the middle of texas which i don't think would have happened anywhere else why did that matter to you i think it matters because i got to experience different cultures which i can appreciate as an adult where I have a fully realized concept of the world, um, where I'm not quick to judge, I'm not quick to alienate. Um, I think it created, it, it allowed me to be more open-minded as an adult. I didn't realize how multicultural London is. This is the city that I was born in and grew up here. When I left London and I went to college in a city in Scotland, 
I remember that if there was a black man walking down the high street, people on the other side of the road, four lanes across, would stop and look. Oh, they wouldn't. So crazy. They wouldn't necessarily look because they were threatened or worried. It was just, oh my goodness, there's a black man. That's unusual. Yeah, yeah. See, that's I had a similar experience. It's it, it was a mixed group, but in college, I felt like a lot of groups would kind of just hang out within people who look like them. This way. Damn, I knew I had it going on, but I didn't think I had it like that. Ooh, track on his phone up to find out where your boyfriend's at. There's no shame in my game. I see what I want, stake my claim. We both know that he feels the same. Shot my shot, perfect. I, I'm black and German. My parents met while my dad was stationed in Germany. She immigrated over here. So all my German family is back in Germany. I spoke it a little bit as a kid. I don't speak it now. So I love the German food. That's part of my culture, but it's also not a prevalent part of my identity. Mm -hmm. I identify more with, you know, the black side of my my family. So it took some time um, in years to just kind of not just only talk about it, but formulate how I not feel about it, but how I speak about it and how I identify. And I think it's because for so long, growing up being in a very multicultural area, it's like, oh, well, race doesn't matter. But moving away from that space and kind of maturing, it's like, no, it does matter. It does have an impact. And I think that's why I like to be seen as a Black artist and um, be really proud to say I'm Black. And I think it's very important. And when did you first become aware that there was a difference in the big, wide world than the world, the bubble that you had grown up in? Can you think of an example of when you first became aware of that? <sighs> it's probably in college, probably when I was about 20. Um, I lived, for some context, my, my mother passed when I was 18. So I think that combination, going to college... When I was around 20, 21, it's when I kind of realized, oh, I, I experienced microaggressions. My friends experience, you know, there's racist experiences where I had a friend who a professor told them that they found them intimidating, even though they're the sweetest person I know. And they felt like, oh, I'm so intimidated. I was like, well, why would they say that? And I'm like, oh, it's because they're black. And it's just like realizing and being more aware of the kind of biases that people have and how it's imply, implied um, in, in just even natural conversation. And so growing up with this identity, when did you start to become aware that you also had another identity and that was a queer identity? What were your first inclinations of that otherness? Yeah, that started probably much sooner. Yeah, much earlier. <laughs> Um, I started realizing at a young age, I was probably late elementary, early middle school, where I started realizing that I liked other guys. Um, but I kind of suppressed that because, you know, you, you get that perception of like, okay, well, that's not what I'm supposed to want. I, I'm supposed to want a wife and kids and a house and a dog and, it just didn't fit the narrative at the time. And this is before we had, you know, a lot of queer representation. Back then, a lot of queer representation was hardship. Um, it was violence. It was um, othering. So it's, I, don't, I didn't want that for myself. 
Um, so I kind of suppressed it until about high school. Then I started becoming more open, more rebellious. And what year would this have been roughly? That would have been maybe 2005. That's when I finally decided to, you know, come out to friends, can't come out in school. So, you know, once you start coming out, you can't <laughs> in high school, you know, rumors start. And once it's out, you're out. Hey, it's time to let your man go. And so when was the first moment where you felt that you owned your own destiny and that actually you were casting off other people's expectations, other people's wishes, and you stepped out into the world and you said, this is going to be a world that I'm going to shape of my own volition? I'm going to say it's an ongoing journey. Um, it's, I think that's still something I try to figure out for myself. Um, I think it started in my early twenties. Um, I, you know, tra I transferred to a different college. It was very, I was a, like a little further away from family. Uh, it was very liberating because it was the first time I realized, Oh, all I have to do is take care of myself. It is about me right now. And there is something freeing about that. Um, and that's when it started forming like, okay, I can love who I want and not have to live to whatever I thought was the ideal or the goal. As we, we get older, we tend to shy away from who we were as a kid. So I always like to say like our, especially like thirties and forties is figuring out, going back to who you were as a kid and unprogramming yourself from your teen years and your twenties. <laughs> and you talked about that ongoing conversation with yourself. I guess music and creating music is a huge part of that. Absolutely. Um, and you'll, and everyone will hear it kind of reflected in my new music that I'm working on now. I'm writing music that I like. Um, so personally, I like songs that are not quite mainstream pop. Um, I like, you know, like dark pop kind of sounds, um, alternative R&B. Uh, artists like FK Twigs and Tinashe inspire me. So I started thinking about, well, what's the music I like? I'm going to make music that I like and people can enjoy it or they can not. So do you also feel uh, an emotional responsibility to your audience, not just to entertain them with different styles of music, but also to present music that gives them a sense of belonging that helps them navigate their way through the world? In a, in a sense, yes. I feel an obligation. I wanted people to feel good. Um, my first kind of three years as an artist. Um, I wanted to write songs that made people feel confident about themselves. So songs like Mango was written because it's tongue in cheek. And as a writer, I thought it was really fun to play on, you know, puns and be a little cheeky. But it was also written to bring out confidence in people. I wanted people when they heard that song to feel really good. Like, oh, this is about me. I can go out and do whatever I want. And to get a sense of confidence and ready for love, I wrote in a way I want people to feel loved. Why do you think that often we do struggle to have that confidence, to have our voices, to, to make our own voices heard, even as adults? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the narrative programming. Um, and I have more hope for kind of this new current 
our upcoming generation because they have more representation in media of queer life and queer representation. Um, so they see different paths for them. But thinking back to growing up, thinking about the 90s and early 2000s, our options were really limited. So it's if you were too confident, you made yourself a target. You didn't want to be over the top because in certain situations, you don't know if there's a threat. And a lot of, you know, with a lot of right wing conservatism, um, we see some of that coming back, especially, you know, with backlash against um, drag queens going on right now. We have the anti-trans laws going into place. So I think confidence is something that's tied in with visibility. And a lot of queer people, especially in different backgrounds where it could be harmful for yourself, you don't want to be confident because that means visibility and bringing attention to yourself when you're trying to blend in and just live. Um, some people, it's, it's about survival. Mango, I think it's about time that you let your mango. The chances are, though, Jackson, that you would be far more commercially successful if you wrote your music from uh, either a heterosexual perspective or a neutral perspective, whereas instead you do write, obviously, queer and maybe sacrifice some of your commercial success. Why do you do that? Authenticity. I So when I used to write songs, like demo songs, I mean, I've been writing songs my whole life. There was consciously like, oh, neutral, or I'm going to be this um, kind of vague artist and play around with it. It just, I'm at a point in my life and part of that journey where I didn't want to do that. So I'm writing songs from my perspective. It's it's kind of just natural in the writing the writing process and I didn't want to over edit myself or make myself someone who I'm not because I think artists can get lost in that and they can become who they think they are or the vision that they kind of created of themselves who they are and I think that's where we see a lot of artists have their own demons and their own struggles is because they they created this persona that they don't align with and it's a constant struggle of having to be that person in interviews or when you're out in public and I just didn't want that for myself. One of my main reasons for wanting to do this podcast, Jackson, was I wanted to give queer artists a chance to have their voices heard, not just in their songs, but just in their thoughts and in their feelings, because I do still think there aren't that many spaces where we can be heard. So for the next two minutes, I'm not going to say anything, and I'm not going to edit anything. You can talk about whatever you want, and the clock will start when you do. Oh my God. Okay. Focus, focus, focus. No. Um, no, first off, before I do talk about kind of new music and where I am with my feelings and as an artist, I do appreciate having the space to kind of talk about, you know, identity and growing up. Cause I think we're at a time where a lot of people want to just focus on the music and remove the artist from their music. And, um, it's very closely tied together. And I've been kind of deconstructing a lot of my own feelings to put in my music because I talked about having that wall between me and my songs and I wanted to tear down that wall and write music that was a little more personable. Um, so that leads me into a lot of the music that I've been working on um, behind the scenes since last summer. 
Um, I will, I guess, announce, I haven't really, I've been hinting at it, but this year I'm releasing two EPs um, because I've been very productive on writing songs. And I think people will be surprised by the new music. Um, only one for the direction. It is much darker, not kind of mainstream pop, but still, you know, has, it's very melodic. Um, the songs constantly get stuck in my head, <laughs> which is a good sign. Um, but I think they'll be surprised because I talk about, um, one of the songs talks about depression. One of them talks about lost and longing. So I have another song that's about long distance relationships, which is more of my storytelling um aspect coming in um because i wanted to tell different stories but also my own stories so we start seeing uh, more depth um and then for the second ep i have songs about um my own struggles of i know i talked about you know starting music at an older uh slightly older age you know you see all these young artists um i've had a lot of loss in my life so i have songs about time passing and my own anxiety with time passing and not feeling like I'll have enough time to do what I want. Um, I have songs about, you know, being young um, and having low self-esteem and um, older men picking up on that and using it for their own advantage. So I have a lot deeper um, songs. I still have, you know, some fun songs um, in there. Um, Siren will be on the first EP, which is one of my favorite releases from last year. Um, but I think just to have the open forum, just speaking that, you know, a lot of my own emotions and perspectives as an artist are going to be reflected in a lot of my new music. And it's exciting. Um, I think this is the most excited I've been about music releases. Um, but it's also very vulnerable and, um, yeah, it, it's it, it's that anticipation um, of how people perceive that because it, it does put me in a vulnerable state. Jackson, what do you think your 15-year-old self would think of you and your music? I think he would think it is amazing. Um, I was very, I was a very emotional 15-year-old. Um, I am not as expressive now. <laughs> um, I was a bit dramatic and over the top. Um, but I, I think he would be very proud and happy to see that I have this outlet that I'm, I'm still creating. Um, and that creativity is still a big aspect of my life. Now then, Jackson, once we finish listening to your music, what other queer artists do you think we should listen to? I, I'm going to encourage people to listen to my friend, Travi Austin. Uh, we collaborated twice um, in the past. I'm on his song, Cut Me a Check. Um, and he also did a remix of Mango. And I picked Travi because he's another artist that... I feel I'm seeing grow as an artist in real time. So I want to use this moment to give him his flowers and put a spotlight on him. Tonight.
Jackson, we've been listening to your music all the way through this episode, but I like to think we've saved the best till last. I'm going to ask you to lead us out of this episode to choose your gateway song. And this is a track from your catalogue that, for anyone who knows nothing about you, has never heard your music, will act as a perfect introduction into everything you have out there to offer. What would your gateway song be and why? Yeah, my gateway song would have to be Siren. Um, Siren, I released it last year. It's the first song that I worked with Boysim on um, as a producer. So it's one of the first songs where I had kind of full creative reign and control of what I wanted as an artist. Um, and it was also my first song that I had a budgeted music video for. And I got to combine my love for dancing um, as a dancer with my love for music videos and pop music. So it all came together. Um, it was kind of the first realized vision, I think, um, for my artistry. And I consider it kind of a catalyst for this new era, a new phase. Jackson, thank you very much for spending your time coming on In the Key of Q and sharing with us your story and, of course, your music. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was just wonderful to talk about um, and just express. And I, I don't think people got to hear these stories or see the side of me um, just yet. So I'm, I'm really thankful for you to invite me on. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can support In the Key of Q via Patreon or alternatively recommend it to a friend. 
The theme tune is by Paul Lee Nidu at UnstoppableMonsters.com, with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others to discover new queer music by giving the show a review where you listen to podcasts. The show is made at Pup Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Thank <laughs> you.